0: Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? As usual, a big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies, who did the heavy lifting on this episode. I'll leave it up to you to figure out why he might have given this one a little extra TLC. You can learn more about his work at idealvideostrategies.com. And remember, I'm part of the upcoming second annual Parenting ADHD Summit, hosted by Penny Williams. It takes place next week, June 17th through the 21st, and it's going to be amazing. If you find meaning in this podcast, I'm sure you'll find the summit equally valuable. Start off on Monday, stick all the way through, and be there when I help wrap things up on Friday. Check out the link in the show notes for more information and to reserve your spot. Finally, the ADHD Essentials Online Parent Coaching Groups will begin the week of July 8th. Go to ADHDessentials.com parentgroups parent groups for more details and to sign up for a free informational call. Registration starts on Monday. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Krista Gordon. Krista is the mom of two kids with ADHD and the founder of Tranquil Little One. Krista shares her story of getting her kids diagnosed with ADHD, learning how to help them manage it through both mental and physical therapies, and how that led to her work with Tranquil Little One. In today's episode, we discuss how the way our children feel physically can affect how they feel emotionally, why core strength matters, anxiety, yoga, and learning from our kids. All right, let's get rolling.
1: So I have a daughter who is just wrapping up first grade and all of her real, I don't want to use the word issues, but that's kind of how they started, started at age three. And I was at her three-year well visit and I said to the doctor, so how normal is like a tantrum? How long do those meltdowns happen? And, oh, well, you know, they, they could be different. I said like an hour, two hours. And the doctor looked at me and said, No, that's not okay. <laughs> and so I said, Well, that's what's happening. And she said, Well, can you describe them? And so I described them. And they would end with my daughter, what I now call the puddle down in the ground, literally not able to speak. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, she was speaking in full sentences at 18 months. So when these started, and they would end with her going, blah, 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 blah. It was very scary. It was a scary moment for mom and dad. I would imagine. And she said, okay, we, we need to get this looked at. We need to figure this out. And referred me to um, UMass Memorial, which is a hospital close to us in Massachusetts that has a wonderful pediatric behavioral unit. And they did a test, Mullen scale. It looks at kind of um, perceptive versus receptive and input versus output. And we realized that my daughter, Perceived the world twice her age. And this was at age three. But her output was at age. Mm -hmm. So they basically said, look at it as like this big tornado of information circling around her and it lands in her brain and then she can't get it out. And I said, well, that sounds horrible for this child. And so they said, yes. And on top of that, she has a very high IQ. We just need to figure out how her brain works. And I'm like, well, as a mom, that would be amazing. Like right. kids don't come with that playbook. Right. So, okay. So what do we do? And they said, well, we do think she should have an, um, occupational therapy screening. We think she should go through a neuropsych screening. So there we went, we went from appointment to appointment. It's funny. Um, my daughter tended to think it was normal to go to these three hour long appointments where you would play games with an adult Yeah. and they're always fun. She would leave and, and be like, that was so fun. And it was because she was challenged and um, her intellect was appreciated, right? It was, it was a very mm-hmm. interesting experience with her. And we landed with an anxiety diagnosis, generalized anxiety. And that came in kindergarten, you know, right towards the beginning. So it was a long road to get all of these tests done. It was about two years before we found the right people that I felt comfortable doing, doing the tests with. And she did a year of occupational therapy, which was very eye-opening for me. And the relationship between how your body and your brain can help each other or hurt each other and things like core strength primitive reflexes things like the vestibular system and the proprioceptive receptive system all these things that I just didn't even know
0: so what is that what was eye opening about it what are what are you talking about help us out
1: okay so primitive reflexes I, I don't have the exact number I mean I'm not an OT but I think it's either five or seven they're reflexes that are supposed to integrate properly into your child's body by the age of three mm-hmm And there's ways of testing them. One is like a fencing reflex. I remember Caitlin still had that where when she would turn her head to the right, her right arm would lift and it was a way of balancing her body. And newborns will do this and they're supposed to do it. But by the time you're upright, walking, moving normally, you're not supposed to have it. Well, she still had it. Mm -hmm. And so that affects her balance. That affects her stability. That then affects how effectively she sits still. That then affects... How her body is functioning while she's trying to sit still. Is she really listening? Is she not? You know, things like that. Um, another one was core strength. She had very weak core strength, and they have ways of testing this that the kids think are fun. They think they're games. And they would say, No, she can't hold her core strength for 10 seconds. I'm like, Well, is that a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. She's supposed to be able to do that. I'm like, She goes to gymnastics class, she can flip around a bar. Like, I don't get it. And they're like, but she can't <laughs> hold it. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is a thing. And all of those things affect how she feels. And she used to say to me from a very young age, my body feels wiggly. And I thought that was so interesting for a child to say. And now it's just our word. She'll say, mom, I feel wiggly. Well, now we know what that means. That means I'm uncomfortable. I'm anxious. I'm having a hard time. But it took us a while to get there. So yeah, OT kind of connected a lot of dots for me as a mom where I would see she's uncomfortable physically, so what do I need to do? And they would say, get her up and move, let her move. She doesn't have to sit still, you know? Mm -hmm. So we went on this really interesting, she was like my journey. I felt like I was like going through all these learning experiences as a mom that I wanted everyone to have. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, why? Why is no one talking about this? And then I learned about the vestibular system, which is your body's GPS. Mm -hmm. They call it your internal GPS. And it's basically, it's part of your sensory system. It's part of how you learn. Some people call it your sixth sense. But it's basically your sense of balance and movement in space. And there's all certain ways that if it's not regulated and if it's not strong enough, it will affect how comfortable a child feels and how effective a child can learn so they would do things like rolling crawling jumping swinging hanging upside down and i didn't realize the benefit that those things had for a child i just thought it was fun mm-hmm. you know but there were actual learning benefits for their body and their mind
0: and this is all when she's sort of three four years old
1: yeah, 3 3 and 4. And we did occupational therapy every week and then 5 was when we added in kind of her cognitive behavioral therapy. We did do a little bit of ABA therapy for her as well in the 3 4 age range, but she had trouble with the kind of the black and white of how ABA could be. Kate, uh, she likes to find that that gray area. Mm-hmm part of her intellect.
0: Yeah. I have trouble with how black and white ABA can be.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I know it works for some. I know it does. I've seen it work for some, but um, we have a nickname for my daughter. We call her the queen of technicality. Mm -hmm. And um, ABA was a lot of technicality for her personally. And so we moved more into a cognitive behavioral therapy for her. It's amazing how much Even in the cognitive behavioral therapy, there was movement involved for her. And I I just started to see this trend of Mm -hmm. her needing to have that physical component that would assist the way she felt and the way she learned. And um, it just kind of became a pattern in that three, four, and five-year-old age for her. Cool. And obviously up until now, too.
0: And how old is she now?
1: She's finishing first grade. I'm very sad to see first grade be over. She's had a great year. That's good. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's not good that you're sad, but it's good that she had a great year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, she had a great teacher. She had a very supportive teacher. Uh-huh. She had a teacher that took the time to understand and learn her anxiety and actually can see it coming, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: As a mom, it's very comforting to know that she's there and that um, her best interest is, is really being looked at. Yep. It's been a great, great year. And so the other half of my journey is my son who um, is four, turned four in January. And again, at three, um, we started seeing some sensory stuff with him. And I just always, with him, he had issues with his hearing Mm -hmm. due to chronic ear infections as a baby. And so I attributed a lot of what he was going through with the fact that, well, he had trouble hearing when he was little. He had a speech delay because he had trouble with his hearing. Um, you know, he learned in a more physical manner, he learned how to communicate more physical. So, you know, that that's what's going on with him. Well, no, it's not. He had some of exactly the same things. We brought him to occupational therapy, just to see. And and it was more of, again, at age three, he's still not doing some of the things we think he should be able to do. So let's just go. Let's, let's have an occupational therapist tell us whether or not he could benefit from their services. Mm -hmm. He had primitive reflexes that hadn't integrated properly. He has a very dysregulated vestibular system. And he also has issues with his proprio receptive or reception system. I trip on that word every time. I don't know why, but that's basically a way for your body to, it's a system that receives input Mm -hmm. basically from every aspect of your body. And a lot of times Kids that have a dysregulated system will seem clumsy. And my son is clumsy. He can trip from walking from point A to point B with nothing on the floor. Okay. He trips over his own feet very often. But if you give him a soccer ball or if you put him on an obstacle course or if he's in a gymnastics class or a CrossFit class, he doesn't fall because he's, he's like tactfully going through what he needs to do. Yep but with nothing in front of him, no complex movement in front of him, he trips and falls all the time.
0: My guys went through a phase where they would trip over everything and um, mostly grew out of it. But when the end game trailer came out for Avengers, Nate got so excited that he ran into the den and like sort of our kitchen, you know, the little like threshold things that stick up a little bit when you go from like one kind, like we go from a hardwood floor to a tile floor and then back to a hardwood floor. When you go through, the we game. have those too. Yeah. So Nate comes tearing in to see the Endgame trailer. I haven't even started it yet. He's just that excited. Like he went to get his brother and came running back, dislocated his pinky toe. He hit the threshold so hard.
1: <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> we have a joke. Paint it yellow. I'm like, we need to paint that yellow. It doesn't stand out enough, right? Like, ugh. I
0: still don't think he would see it because he's not looking there. He's just going. He's not picking his feet up high enough. Yeah. He clipped it. Yeah. And, uh, and he it, he was like, it hurts so much. I'm like, it doesn't look broken or anything. It looks like it might be misaligned. I just pulled it forward and then it didn't hurt anymore. Mm. I was like, that bad boy was dislocated. That's what just happened because I just put it back in socket.
1: <laughs> Yikes. There's pain for you.
0: Yeah.
1: We have those too. We have boo boos <laughs> that happen just because, right? Yeah. Yep. So my son's a, interesting in the fact that the physical aspect of, of the way he learns is very different. He's really rough. He's just he's a rough player, and you know some can say, oh, that's a difference between boys and girls. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's a sensory profile. He he needs constant input, and so that's that's been a change for us. My daughter's the absolute opposite.
0: And do you use like weighted blankets or deep pressure or anything like that with him?
1: So he does not like a weighted blanket. We've tried every weighted blanket out there in every different way. He doesn't even sleep with the blanket on. He won't let us put even a sheet on him. We've tried the liker sheets. We've tried all of it. He needs hugs. He asks for hugs all the time. Mama, can I just have a hug? Mm-hmm. Sure. Daddy, can you hug me? Can you snuggle with me? He's like the king of snuggling. I think I'm going to snuggle with him until he's like 10 and that's totally fine. <laughs> I think the day he doesn't ask me for a snuggle will be really sad. I'm with you. Yeah. And my
0: guys are 10 and still ask for that. So you might get past Oh, time.
1: good. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. so promising. Oh, I hope that that happens. I think my husband will say the same thing. Um, he's definitely our snuggle bear. Yeah, me too. So... Yeah. So my son right now is in, in about two weeks, we'll have his neuropsych testing for some things and, um, attention is at the top of the list and we'll see where that, that pans out and we'll see what journey I go on with him and his learning. See what else I can learn as a parent.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. And, and, and it's interesting that so much of this is physical. Yeah. Because this is not the direction that my interviews typically go in. Oh. Yeah. A lot of my stuff is like mental health kind of stuff. Sure. So it's, sure we try this strategy and we keep tuned in this way and study skills and, and the emotional impact and stuff. We, I haven't gone into the physical side of it much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'll admit that some of that is a, is personal comfort, right? Like I don't know this stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, probably vice versa. It's kind yeah. of where I've had to learn. So it's now my comfort zone.
0: Right and some of it if i'm if i'm being honest sounds a little bit magical i
1: guess could be
0: like primitive reflexes sounds like a thing that got made up by somebody it doesn't sound like a thing that is real and and the idea that like oh there's these seven primitive reflexes and if we treat them then everything is better I'm
1: yeah like, it's not in everything is better <laughs> yeah it's not in everything is better it's your child might feel more stable mm-hmm. and if they feel more physically stable how might that help their learning and their development?
0: Yeah. And that makes complete yeah. sense to me. Yeah. I'm right there with you when you, yeah. in putting it that way, that's that just from my training with Kempo and my, and martial arts and stuff sure. and how sure. how much balance matters for when you're doing a martial art. And my, my sensei likes to have a stand on one foot with our hands, like in strange positions or moving and blocking and stuff while he talks to us about a television show. Mm-hmm. Because he's trying to get us to be distracted enough. Sure. So that one, we can stand there without realizing that we're standing there. And two, that he can mess us up with whatever it is that this technique we're supposed to be doing. So I get the mind-body integration component from that perspective. And you're, you're coming from a more physical background, right? Because you, you come from the world of dance.
1: I did, yes. I went, I've danced pretty much my whole life. I went to college for dance. Um, I became a dance educator right out of college. I taught dance as my full-time job as a part-time job um, for over 25 years yeah and then once uh, i taught up until i had my daughter she Mm -hmm. was in my belly had (laughs) dance (laughs) recital um and then two weeks later i had her so um i've always felt comfort in that physical movement and kind of connecting mind body and breath Mm -hmm. which has brought me into my passion of yoga for children, actually, it's, uh, it's kind of a technique that I went and did some research on and figured out how could this help my child? Um, what could we be doing? Um, and I think it was mostly because of bedtime. We were having big bedtime ramp ups where the energy went way up, the anxiety went way up, couldn't focus on anything, couldn't get through any of our tasks. Right. And all of a sudden, it's an hour and a half later and we're still not in bed. (laughs) I'm like, I need to fix this. I can't do this every night. You know, I had a newborn and a toddler and it was getting crazy. So started looking into yoga and realizing there were ways you could do that for a kid. And I didn't realize that. I always thought yoga was, you know, you went to a studio as an adult and did a 45 minute class and you came out and felt refreshed. And it's like, Oh wait, you could do that with a kid too. So Started adding it in, found books, found ways to do different breathing techniques, found different stretches that will help them slow their heart rate. And it was it was fun. It became fun. Like, oh, let's do this tonight. Let's read bedtime for yoga or yoga for bedtime or whatever it is, you know, and we would read it and she'd be doing star and moon and butterfly and taking these big deep breaths. And then would come the yawn. And I was like, oh. A yawn. Yay. <laughs> her brain is slowing down, you know, and it, yeah. And so I just started going down that journey too and realizing, wait, there's core strength exercises in yoga and there's cross lateral movements. I'm going to make her use both sides of her brain. I'm not going to say it became a game, but it kind of did. Like how many different ways can I get her to calm down? Right. What else can I do to help her? And, um, yeah and it led me to go get certified to be a kids yoga instructor.
0: That's cool. Yeah. And that's what you're doing now, right? Is is sort of kids yoga work.
1: I am. Yes, yeah. I um started a company called Tranquil Little One and basically my hope in doing that is to pass on some of the things that I've learned to other parents. Mm-hmm. You know, at 5 when someone looks at you, when your kids 5 and someone looks at you and says, "I think they need medication." that can be a scary thing as a mom, right? If you're not comfortably ready for that, right? And, and I'm thinking she's five. I don't know if I'm comfortable. I don't know if this is really the time. What else can I do? What else can I try? What else is out there? And I've learned a lot through my yoga, through working with occupational therapists, through just reading and fact-finding and learning all these different things. And I felt like I had all this stuff I needed to share. And in talking with my friends and other parents, they would just say something about their kid. And I would say, oh, well, have you tried this? You know, dinner time. Why is dinner time such a problem? Well, what did, what did you have them do before dinner time? Mm-hmm. Are you telling them they have to sit still at dinner? Because you know what? They just sat still all day long at school.
0: Right.
1: They may not, they may not want to sit still.
0: And if they've got those core strength issues and can't sit still comfortably for 10 minutes because their core is strong enough.
1: Sure. And, you know, parents will look at me and be like, why are you even talking about? Why are you asking this? What if you just let them stand? What if you let them stand? And it's like, oh, I don't know. I'll give it a try. And then I see them, you know, two weeks later at pickup again. You know what? We've been letting them stand. Great. How's dinner time going? Great. You know, it doesn't work every time, but even if it works 50% of the time, right? So yeah, yeah. so I just, I've, I've learned so many things that I want to share. I just, I feel like when you have a child who their brain may work a little bit different, part of the goal in with both of my kids is figuring out how their brain works. It's not going to work like mine. It's not going to work like my husband's. I want to be able to parent to them and who they are specifically Mm -hmm. and saying something to my daughter, like, use your words, find your words. Worst thing I could ever say to her, Mm -hmm. but it's what I said as a parent. It's all I knew, right? Like I can't understand you find your words. She's hyperventilating (laughs) and crying horrible. (laughs) Right. And now I don't do that. Mm -hmm. Now my goal is let's slow your breathing. Let me connect with you. Let me get you to a point where you can find your words. So I had to like skip, I had to add steps to the beginning to get to be able for her to find her words because she couldn't. And me asking her to made it 5,000 times worse.
0: Yeah, because because then she's stuck in the amygdala, right? The part of the brain that-
1: Exactly. Is
0: all emotion. Yes. And is all about safety and feeling safe and trying to figure out how to become safe. And that's a total situation. Right. And it'll do whatever right. it takes. It'll run away, it'll fight you, it'll freeze. Right, and if the and then we want to get them in the frontal court prefrontal cortex where they can think and make careful choices
1: exactly, and with my son, his fight or flight is fight, mm-hmm. and that's hard. Yeah, he's very physical, and um, again, I always blame that on well, he learned through you know he didn't have his words, so he would grunt, he would point, he would tap. That's how he communicated with me. Well. He's four now, and he has more words than I think is normal for a four-year-old. His language is completely caught up, mm-hmm. but he's still doing those things, you know? And it's like, why? Why is that there? Why, why are you fighting me right now? Oh, because you're panicked. You're anxious. You're not okay. You don't feel okay, you know? And so that's, that's hard. That's a hard thing. Yeah. And then they go to school and then you're like, oh no, please don't do that to any other child. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to get that phone call. You know, your kid got mad. They bit someone. Okay.
0: And also, and this is me wondering, right? I'm connecting some dots and this may or may not be useful. Is it, is it okay if I connect some dots to them? Go for it. Okay.
1: I would love to hear what you have to say.
0: I'm wondering about when he's in control and feeling safe, right? Yep he'll come to you looking for a hug. Yes. But if he's not feeling safe or he's not seeking out that hug, he might not like it as much and reference the weighted blanket, if nothing else. Yes. And so some of that fight stuff and that physicality might be trying to just get space. Absolutely. To feel safe. Like if he's feeling confined and crowded, he's probably not feeling safe. But if we back off a little bit, give him a little physical room, that might be enough to help him calm down. Yes. Is that something that you see?
1: Yes. One of the things I had, when he switched from a home daycare to a preschool and he was in a class of 20-something kids, that's one of the first things I said to, a te- to the teachers, don't get too close. Mm-hmm. When he's upset, don't get too close because he will fight you. <laughs> and it, it felt horrible to say, but I felt like I needed to be honest. I felt like I needed to say the mm-hmm. truth rather than have it be that they thought the right thing was to go in and give him a hug. And then he punches him in the face, you know, which I'm not going to lie. It's happened to me. I get too close and he fights and, and that's hard. And the bigger he gets and the stronger he gets, the scarier that gets for me. So, Mm. um, and for him too, I mean, I always look at my kids and I think if it's hard for me as the parent to watch them, what are they feeling? What does it feel like to be in their body in that exact moment? You know, if they're a puddle on the ground screaming and crying, that can't feel good. And so it's not always the easiest as the mom to do this because there are times where I'm like, we have to leave. Why are you, why is this happening right now? (laughs) You know, um, but if I can find, find the strength in myself to look at them and say, wow, they are really struggling. Right. They're really having a hard time. They're not, they're not trying to give me a hard time. They're having a hard time. Yep. And that's a big mindset shift for a lot of families. But my kids can be so composed. They can be so kind. They have a lot of empathy. They have a lot of sympathy. They will help a child in need without even being asked to. Mm-hmm. So for them to go to the extreme where they are now a puddle on the ground and cannot speak and they're screaming and crying, what happened? Yeah. What is going on in their body that physically made that change in them? It's changed so much of how I parent once I look at them and I think that way. And I think about their brain isn't working right now. Nothing I say to them will be digested.
0: (laughs) Can I next level that for you?
1: Absolutely. Go for it.
0: So I have have a, a model on anxiety that I use that's a visual thing with smiley faces and they start smiley and then they kind of get to like anxious faces yeah. as you head towards the middle. But it's kind of like a scale of one to 10, right? Like one is, everything is chill and I'm calm and all is right with the world sort of a thing. And then as you start wandering up towards five, I'm hitting anxiety. Like I'm not, I'm not doing okay, but I'm not out of control either. And then seven, eight, nine, 10, that's where really the amygdala is taking over and it's completely in charge. Yeah. Right. Four, five, six, the amygdala is in there. It's doing some stuff, but the prefrontal cortex is also playing a role. It's making careful decisions. That's where kids start lying a lot because they're trying to find some safety and that's the amygdala. But the prefrontal cortex has enough control to be like, no, no, we don't need to like hit anybody. We can just make up a story and they'll believe us. And then their threat will go away.
1: We have that with my daughter. My daughter does that a lot. My son's not quite there yet, but yes, we get that with my daughter.
0: He'll get there. (laughs) It'll happen. He hasn't figured out that other people have thoughts that are not the same as his yet, but no one is ever at a one. Sure. Right? Like not really. There's some hardcore meditators and yogis and stuff that every now and then are at a one, but for the most part, we're up above a one somewhere and as a baseline, right? So like right now my baseline is probably in the realm of a four or a five i got a lot of stuff going on which means i'm that much closer to getting that amygdala hijack i'm that much closer to hitting fight flight or freeze and i have to pay attention to that and try to work my way down so that i can then get worked back up as the day goes by but thinking about the fact that we don't start from zero with our anxiety levels when your kid becomes a puddle it becomes useful to think about like a puddle is a 10, right? Hitting mom is a 10. Mm -hmm. So what inched him up or her up to the 10 over the course of the day? And for me, the most effective interventions, and this is really where a lot of my parent coaching groups focus. The most effective interventions are way, way down. If we can keep the kid from going to a three to a six and that stuff's easier to navigate. If we keep the kid from going from a 3 to a 6, then when their anxiety gets bumped up, it's not going to an 8, it's going to a 6, which is easier to manage, it's easier to bring it back down again, and it's that much further away from a fist or a puddle. Sure. So that might be a useful Sort of perspective to take when you're wondering, like, what got him to here? What happened two hours ago? Exactly. That got him from a three to a four, not just what got him from a nine to a 10.
1: Well, and I I often think, especially with my daughter, what happened during her day at school that she couldn't regulate herself out of? Mm -hmm. What was she not able to do? Did she not get to move enough? Did she not eat enough? Mm -hmm. You know, did something happen with another child that she's taking and thinking and ruminating on?
0: What did she have to regulate her way out of, but she couldn't maintain it, and now she's home and doesn't have to?
1: Right, exactly. Oh, yes. Home is the safe place. Home is the place where after school they come home, and it, it can be crazy. you know. And all of those big emotions come out because my daughter's anxiety doesn't look like everybody else's. She can hold it in really, really well. She can make friends. She, it's funny. When I say that she has anxiety, people are like, really? And they look at me funny. She seems so good. She's great
2: mm-hmm.
1: on the outside, you know? And that's, and it's been a hard road to get Caitlin to realize how she can regulate herself. Do I need to take a deep breath? Do I need to go for a walk? Do I need some water? You know, do I, her teacher has a calm down spot. Do I need to go to the calm down spot for a few minutes? Do I need to ask the person sitting next to me to not chew so loudly? You know, <laughs> it, and it could be really that little. With her, Mm -hmm. does the cafeteria smell like fish sticks today? And what am I going to do to help with that? Yeah, you know, and all of those things still can be a problem at five o'clock at night.
0: Yeah, that sensory stuff is huge.
1: It is. It is, and she's getting to the point through all of her hard work. You know, she has worked really hard. She wants to feel better. She wants to feel in control of herself, and it was amazing that this year her five hundred four plan became self regulated, self-accommodated, self-directed, which was amazing. And I I thanked the teacher for that. And I thanked my daughter for showing that she's responsible and that she can do it. And um, she worked really hard and she knows what things will help her feel better. And I think that that's huge. That's great. It is. That's awesome. It is. Yeah. Now we just got to catch my son up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, do you do the yoga stuff with them as a tool? Do they have that in their tool set they do. as a way to calm down? They Is do. it something they do when they come home from school or anything like that?
1: Yeah. We do a lot of heavy lifting when we get home from school. We'll kick a soccer ball, we'll push, you know, we'll do the push game with each other. We'll run. We'll sometimes I even do obstacle courses on days that I know that they didn't get enough recess. What's
0: the push game?
1: Oh, when you put your hands like your palms up against their palms and I go down on my knees and my son will stand and we'll push each other. Um, and you know, you kind of almost become like a triangle where your heads are together and you're like pushing on each other's hands And then you end up giggling it ends up being really funny because someone falls over And Mm -hmm. or you can even do it with your feet or you can do it with an exercise ball in between the two of (laughs) you and push the ball
0: That's that deep pressure stuff.
1: Yeah, he likes to push with his forehead Mm -hmm. On the exercise ball and then i'm on the other side pushing my hands
0: because he's kind of a rhinoceros
1: Kind of. I think, yes. (laughs) Oh, that's it. That's an excellent analogy. I'm going to have to use that. Yeah, so we do. We incorporate a lot of that. Breathing techniques. We meditate. We use a a meditation app. My daughter loves to meditate. She likes to imagine. So for her, meditating is imagining. She gets to use her imagination, which unfortunately, I feel like school doesn't do enough for children anymore. Not usually. And I think she misses it. Yeah. She misses play. She misses imagination. And um, she takes my yoga classes that I teach. And one thing that she says to me is, mommy, that was a really good story today. That was my favorite part. And, you know, because I end each session with a guided meditation and it's different. It'll go to whatever theme where we worked on. And she always appreciates the story. And I just think that's so sweet. I just... I don't know. That's great. It's very touching. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. Yeah. Stories are powerful.
1: They are. They are. You know, and to tell a story about putting something bad that happened that day into a soccer ball and imagine that. So someone made you upset. Somebody made you sad. Put it in a soccer ball. Now hold that soccer ball and kick it as far away as you can. For a child, that can be powerful. Mm -hmm. It can be. Or put your worry in a balloon and set the balloon free. You know, um, those are some things that work for some children that can really have that, that level of visualization. Um, we also do tactile things too, where I'll give them like a rock or something and tell them to rub their worry into the rock or, um, you know, write it. That
0: stuff works for adults.
1: It does. You're right. It does. Yeah.
0: There's adults that put their worries in balloons, either real or imagined.
1: Sure. Sure. Um, write down your worry and crumple it into a ball, stamp on it, you know, do whatever you need and then go throw it in the trash. Well, now it's the trash cans worry. It's not yours anymore. You know, things like that. And I try to incorporate little things like that into my classes because, and my sessions, because I hope they resonate in a way that a child, Will feel how powerful they can be, and then they'll just do them on their own. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they'll teach their parents. You never know, right? Right. I've learned so much from my kids. I I can't. I I hope that when they leave a class and they're like, "Mom, we did this really cool thing today." I mean, that's that's the power of knowledge and education and sharing and community. So that's my goal.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. That's awesome. And the the use of physical movement and imagination to get the kids to kind of move beyond whatever it is that's holding them up. That's amazing. Like that, that's just a really solid uh, amalgamation of tools.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been helpful. And I think especially too, when you have a child like mine, who's a sensory seeker to allow him the opportunity to be physical in a safe way Mm -hmm. is huge. Oh, another good game is high fives, but doing them across. So instead of doing my right hand to his left hand, he has to do his right hand to my right hand. And we have to meet in the middle.
0: Okay. So crossing the midline. And
1: then we switch. Yeah. So we do right and left and right and left. And um, we even do it with our feet sometimes too, which is hysterical. We always end up laughing when we do it (laughs) that way too. And that actually came from him kicking me, trying to change his diaper. Okay. That always became a pattern. He would get mad that I was trying to change his diaper. Uh-huh. And it's like, I'm trying to help you and you're kicking me. And so one day I was like, all right, you want to kick? And I held my hands up and I was like, kick across. You take your right foot and you kick my right hand. And now he's like looking at me like, what? <laughs> and now it's just kind of become a thing. That's cool. But it helps him regulate and it, and it allows him to get his physical need, that exertion out. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, that's what I needed to do with him. I needed to kind of adapt and let him be physical in a safe way.
0: Yeah, no, that, and that's awesome. Meeting him where he is, is really important. That's key
1: yep.
0: to be able to regulate himself and do the things you want. If you can meet him where he is, you're going to get further. Yep. Side question. Sure. But you mentioned that he's a fighter and he's admittedly, admittedly, he's only four. So you might not know the answer to this yet, but you might, um, if you know the answer, it's a big signal. Um, I often find that kids who are fighters tend to need a lot of control too. Is he a kid that needs control?
1: Both of my children are very high in the rigidity scale. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We, we even have days where I am told exactly where to stand Mm -hmm. and exactly how much milk goes in a cup and exactly how many raviolis go on their plate? <laughs> yes, that is that is my life, um, <laughs> and I always can tell when it's been a hard day for them yep. by how much they control what is happening around them when they get home. And some days it is infuriating. You know, we have twenty minutes to do our homework, eat dinner, and get out the door for our you know whatever evening activity we have. And now you're going to tell me that I put too many raviolis on your plate just to eat, you know, it can be infuriating, but yes, he does. He does try to control a lot of things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the other, the other one that I, that goes along with this pretty well is that you plant potatoes, you get potatoes, right? So
2: mm-hmm.
0: often when the kid's a fighter and needs control, at least one of the parents is also a fighter who needs control. So there's a recipe for a conflict there just to, yeah. just to notice. Yeah. That's all.
1: And I might be to blame for that one. Well, you know, and I had, I had one therapist say to me once, well, they lived inside of you for nine months. So what were those nine months like?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's a scary thought for me. Cause I was like, well, I, um, I worked full time. I traveled. I was on my feet actually for my daughter. I had two jobs and Ooh. That is a scary thought. I, I incubated an anxious environment and created an anxious child. I mean, I don't know how much science there is behind that.
0: Which doesn't mean you did anything wrong and doesn't make you a bad mom. And, it, and that's okay.
1: Oh, no. I did the best I could. I did the best I could. And I still am.
0: Yeah. No, I just, I just point that out because... Or I bring that up. I bring that up because we vilify moms... In so many different ways. And the last thing I ever want to do on this podcast is to make any mom feel like because while they were pregnant, they did this thing that that's... Yeah. Their kid having an anxiety problem. No. Is their fault. It's not. It's just the way it is. And don't worry about
1: it. Right. Well, I can't go back now.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you would like to share with our audience?
1: I would love to share that it's you never have to stop learning even as an adult when you have a child who learns differently my children learn differently and it's been an amazing journey for me to figure out how to parent specifically to them and what does that mean and educating people around them daily and talking to their teachers differently and not just about you know if they qualify for an IEP or what their 504 says but you know, talking to them in ways that will help them understand your child, mom to mom, parent to parent, um, you know, or even if your teacher doesn't have children, they're in, a, they're in a job for children. And I think that for me, learning what I've learned about how my children learn has changed me. And it's, it's never going to end. It's an amazing journey. And I'm learning so much from them. And listening to their cues, too, has been a huge thing. You know, just hearing my daughter say, I just don't feel right today. The body's not okay. And learning from that and taking that cue. And and what does that mean? How, How do I parent that? It's exciting. It's exciting to have that opportunity. It's not always easy, but it's exciting.
0: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.